Hello, listeners. Today, I have such a special treat for you. I'm actually going to be interviewing my co-host, Jacob. (laughs) So, Jacob, we're going to talk about your capacity as Mr. Professional Teacher Development Time. Man.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> that's your official title. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as as we both know, the craft of teaching is not art, not science, lots of heart, all science, all it's it's everything. And it's a set of skills and know-how and just practice year after year after year that you can't learn from a textbook. You can't learn from watching a video. And to be truly great, you have to be fully in it, making those mistakes, working with students, engaging with families, reflecting got to navigate bureaucracy. You've got to fill out lots of paperwork. You've got lots to do. And it doesn't stop. I'm a um, year 10 teacher. Oh my gosh. And it it's not over. I'm constantly learning. And that means that as new technologies and trends and oh my gosh, a pandemic high, students have evolving needs and assessments and my skill sets change and my capacity to learn new things change and curriculum changes season to season, moment to moment. And to keep up with all of that, we as educators deserve and crave excellent needs-based professional development, including assessment literacy. Because if we're going to give up instructional time for those important assessments that we we know we need, we need the data, but if we don't know how to access or, or interpret or engage with the data, then it can start to feel like a waste of time or infringing when really it should be empowering. Uh, listeners, you likely know Jacob from his work on the podcast, but That's all because we wrangle him from all of his other work to be here with us. And he's very, very busy. He has a depth and breadth of experience in the classroom and teaching also math with me, coaching, ed policy, professional learning. Jacob has led professional learning learning divisions at Pearson, Scholastic, and now he's senior vice president of learning and improvement services for NWEA, Hair Toss Jacob. What a title. (laughs) Now a division of HMH. So, hey, that's not a bad rap sheet. That's pretty good. Uh, thank you for stepping into our guest chair for this episode, Jacob. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's so strange. Like uh, on the, what do you say, the other side of the microphone? Uh, I don't think it, it picks Ooh, up sound, but you know what I mean. that was cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to be here, uh, <laughs> it as quite, It's not quite the same as yeah, the camera, sure, but yeah. For sure, yeah. All right. So, Jacob, I'm just going to like hit you with some questions. You ready? Yes, ma'am. Uh, can you outline for our listeners uh, just your general experience um in the classroom so that we can then talk about your transition out of the classroom into professional development. Yeah. You know, um, Kaylee, you were mentioning, uh, um, you know, just before, and of course the tape was rolling, so I have no idea the uh, studio magic that Matt will do, but just about, and I hope it stays in, right? The What we as educators really deserve in terms of continuing to evolve our practice, um, you know, to meet the the variant and novel challenges that seem always to come up. You mentioned the pandemic or, uh, you know, just, uh, geez, you know, things that affect a community, uh, safety concerns, uh, whatever's happening in a kid's life, those things become, uh, you know, while at one level global, at one point, you know, really um, uh, personal uh, uh, for folks. The question you just asked, I, I think, is a really important one. Uh, for me to consider. So I might start, uh, began at a residential treatment facility, um, for abused and neglected kids in, uh, uh, outside of Eugene, Oregon called the Jasper mountain center. And it, 
it was renowned at the time. I think it's, you know, I think it's passed to different owners now. So I, I, I can't speak to the level of work there. But at the time I was there, um, they were renowned for taking the nation's most difficult and disturbed kids, uh, kids that have blown out of their birth families, blown out of uh, their adopted families or out of, um, you know, um, just just the word. I mean, I'm I, just these kids have suffered the worst things that you could possibly imagine. And then some. And so, um, you know, a lot of emotional disturbance, et cetera. And I just had a heart for these kids. Um, I, I say all that as context because the point you made, it was so real uh, for um, and it was it was immediate and necessary. It's not just like, you know, not that this isn't a, an important thing. Little Johnny needs, you know, he's got a barrier to get to the next math level. Right. Or the next right. lesson. Uh the kids were stakes in crisis. Are high. The stakes are super high. And so to meet those stakes, you had to have this disposition that you just named for educators as well. It's just like, okay, but I have to renew myself daily. I, I, I have to constantly be looking for new practices that may work for Johnny yesterday, but not today or worked for Johnny, but not Timmy or you know what I mean? Or I'm, worked I'm, or didn't work for me because I'm right. different every day. 100%. So I adopted early uh, um, this notion of uh, I've got to be growing to be my best for myself, to your point, and more importantly, it, it, from my perspective at the time, for the kids I'm serving. Uh, right. That led me to uh, quickly becoming, or maybe not so quickly, but uh, moving into professional learning for my colleagues, you know, that was recognized that I had this disposition. Um, and so I was um, became a treatment team to lead, I, you know, and, and was in charge of um, uh, developing and delivering professional learning for people that were there to support the kids be it in a school setting or be it in, uh, you know, in just kind of the residential setting. And uh, that really began a, a passion and love for me and helping adults grow and learn. Uh, that transitioned then into, um, uh, you know, becoming a, a high school math teacher in uh, the inner city uh, uh, in the Portland area. And um, as I did that, I, you know, after having those experiences and I was working at a high school, I just, I just, you know, never had power struggles with kids. I, I don't, I don't power struggle with children. Uh, my daughter listening to this may disagree, um, for the, for the good of the order, but, um, but generally, um, but then those kids, kids that would skip all day would not skip my class and, um, those kids would grow. And so the, um, the district, uh, recognized that and, and, um, uh, and I became a part of a coaching program uh, uh, in the district, uh, eventually moved over to Pearson to provide a similar type of coaching in mathematics. It was the context uh, in Kansas City. And, and uh, you know, the story kind of evolved from there. But it really began with those, you know, that kind of root of as an adult trying to help kids. I need to constantly work on my craft. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And we all need to be like sharing our success strategies. Yeah. yeah. We need to all get in, in a room and talk about how to meet this kid's need. 100%. I can't have all the answers, right? Uh, it's well, and so now one of the things that you're focusing on is a, a little bit less personal, a little bit more global, a little mm -hmm. bit less micro, mm -hmm. and a lot more macro mm -hmm. is looking at that, um, helping teachers become more data and assessment right. literate. Right. So. Right. They can find these trends that are happening for all kids, maybe not just one specific child in crisis, but for a much longer reach over a much longer period of time. So can you break down for me um, what you mean when you're when you are explaining your position as data literacy assessment um, literacy 
kind of coach and and helper. Yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, the question. Um, you know, Kaylee, the, the thing is, and, and I, I say this is almost globally true in the United States, um, that our educator preparation programs don't do a great job at preparing the assessment side of our practice. Uh, uh, they focus a lot uh, to good effect on the instructional side of practice. But if we think about that kind of uh, that tr- old triangle of curriculum assessment instruction. You know, I like this thought of the student being in the middle of that uh, triangle. Um, we spend a lot of time on curriculum. We spend a lot of time on instruction uh, in terms of assessment. Most programs it's embedded in your methods course. And so it becomes, you know, the, the topic of a, uh, uh, of a seminar within a larger methods course. And it's just not I don't even enough. think that I had anything. Yeah. I don't think I yeah. had anything yeah. on assessment except it, how to maybe design a good test. And it's a dirty little secret that I don't think we like to acknowledge as professionals, but a lot of people are faking it till they make it. It's it's sort of like the divide between um you know reading and, and math, right? Uh, literacy and math. Mm-hmm. Um people uh, are quick to say, "Oh, I, you know, I I'm not a math person." Uh, but it would be shameful to say I'm actually don't know how to read. You know, right. nobody would ever say that. And and yeah. with with the assessment and data side of our jobs, which is so central to, um, if you you know uh, uh, if you've listened to our episodes before, you know we we talk a lot about um, using the data to understand where kids are, so we can help them grow. Right. Um, and, and it is that element uh, that is so critical, I think, as a service to the profession, uh, because so many of us, even those that were well prepared uh, to before entering the the um, the profession, the, the, the programs we were in didn't spend enough time on that. Now, post pandemic, you've got, uh, you know, we've always had a teacher attrition issue. Uh, it is um only worse now, right? I mean, it's just more and more we see, and then this is localized, certainly in different places, not true everywhere, but generally you see, you know, uh, uh, emergency certifications, people that uh, didn't even have the benefit of a really dedicated program. Oh, you have a degree. Great. We, that will get you into the classroom and that we thank those teachers for stepping in. Yeah. And, and it's often sometimes all that those teachers can afford to, to become of that professional. And we're, we're grateful for them. But you're right. It's just going to increase our own achievement gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Understanding right. assessment literacy. Well, in at NWEA, you lead the team of yeah. helping teachers demystify mm-hmm. and start to own mm-hmm. data assessment literacy. Yeah. How do you help teachers do that? We help educators with this uh, in a number of ways, Kaylee. I think. Um, MAP growth is widely recognized as the gold standard growth measure uh, for educators. Uh, but when you overlay that on the f- uh, with the fact that most of us didn't uh, have a, a strong assessment portion of our program, we have underdeveloped uh, skill and understanding generally. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't want anybody to listen to this and be offended. Uh, um, uh, but to the notion of continually growing, even if you are uh, uh, literate with assessment, understand your data well, I would put forth that our job as educators is to continually refine our craft, to grow, to understand with every new novel situation we have, every kid, etc. So, you know, the, the key thing is, is you can have the best data in the world, but if you don't 
know the most accurate on where students are and and how they've grown but if you don't know how to uh, integrate that into your instructional practice if you don't know how to in, uh, in, integrate that with your differentiation uh, uh, moves in the classroom then really the data is a dipstick divorced from your intentional actions in the classroom so it is that kind of uh, um, helping empower educators to use assessment data, both map growth and generally we have a belief that we need to help educators fill in these uh, pre-service gaps that we have. Uh, so even the formative uh, uh, data that you can collect daily with students that we that we work with stu- uh, uh, teachers to understand evidence of student learning and how it can and should be integrated, acted upon uh, to move learning forward. So not only what are these results showing me what are these results saying yep yep. and then what are they indicating that i should do exactly right so it's like a two-part yeah okay and so when and when it comes to like it's like when it comes to delivering that kind Mm -hmm. of professional learning Mm -hmm. i i'm sure that and i speak with my teacher heart on this i'm sure that you've got a mixed bag in the room you've got people with a lot of assessment literacy trauma (laughs) right (laughs) right, right. because they're a teacher they're supposed to be a data scientist also oh i know um and also, you know, assessment can be kind of a hot button issue for a lot of teachers. Sure. And um, and I, I think that I used to be one of them. And now I'm like, oh, it was because uh, I didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel like this was giving me anything. And so, in fact, I really needed to be in this kind of professional learning. And so as you're designing, delivering it, experiencing it alongside educators, what are you learning about professional learning, like the spirit behind it, the mm. spine of it, mm-hmm. and what separates good, good professional learning from like truly exceptional, transformative professional learning. Boy, there's so many good things baked into what you asked. That uh, Forgive me if I don't un- unravel all of them. I, I'll try to work a little backwards. I am a devotee, if you will, of uh, learning forward. If you are an educator a leader and you don't know learning forward um, go to learningforward.org look them up they are the international organization uh, focused on professional development professional learning uh, for educators globally and uh, they're you'll recognize the language of their work because it's built into uh, through their advocacy efforts the definition of professional development in um you know, in, in legislation in nearly every state, I think, and, and certainly in ESSA. And, and uh, they're a very influential organization that holds the bar for what is, to the, you know, the last part of your question, good professional learning. I'll say, and I'm going to actually just borrow from their definition, uh, uh, which is codified in, in, you know, legislation, as I say. Um, professional development is an integral part of school and local education agency strategies for providing educators with the knowledge and skills necessary to enable students to succeed in a well-rounded education to meet the challenging state academic standards. And, and then there's a long list of um, uh, things, but importantly that those efforts are sustained to your question. So um, professional development should not, if it's going to be impactful, it shouldn't be standalone. It shouldn't be a one day thing or, or a short term workshop. It needs to be intensive. It needs to be collaborative 
educators working together to refine collectively their practice. It should be job embedded, uh, um, meaning that it is not divorced from their practice in the context of their classrooms. It should be data driven. So uh, not just deciding uh, we're going to do this, uh, for example, ropes uh, course. <laughs> right. it, it, it needs to be focused on what the data is showing, we are having issues with oh, our data reveals that we've got um, an issue in uh, uh, numeracy in the early grades. OK, great. That's where we should be focusing our efforts. Yeah. It should be classroom focused. And, it, you know, there's a lot of other elements there. But I think that is. Um, it has to have a why. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. and teachers have to believe teachers have to drive that why. That's and right. nothing drives why like data. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You know, and then, and then you start to get in into that. Then this uh, this notion, because we are underprepared in these areas, generally as educators, even terms like data literacy or assessment literacy get used frequently, even by people like that I work with regularly. Terrified. It, it, I'm terrified of them. Well, yeah, <laughs> and they get used interchangeably, but there are some important distinctions between oh. them. So, you know, if I, I don't, I don't know if, if I'm getting too geeked out here. So if I am, you know, let me know. But I, I would say data literacy uh, is the ability to read, understand, create, and communicate data as information. It's, it's like, uh, um, you know, the ability to interact with it and communicate about it. Tran translate it. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, a good portion of our work is actually helping educators get to uh, their, for example, the different types of reports they use, understand them so they can communicate about them. So like, like look like looking at a report yeah. and seeing that it's telling a story. Like right. it's That's right. That's right. And so I would, and this is, I've actually never said this out loud before, Kaylee, so... <laughs> Uh, give me some grace here. But I would say in that sense, data literacy is a um, a component of assessment literacy. Um, so NWEA uh, yeah, with the CCSSO, that that's the Council of Chief State School Officers. Sorry for the acronym soup, but uh, that is the organization that all of the state chiefs of education in some places they're elected um, some place they're appointed by the governor but all the state departments of education uh they all uh, have an advocacy group that lobbies the white house congress uh, uh um the u.s department of education obviously uh for education policy nwea worked in 2016 with the ccsso to publish a definition of assessment literacy so i said data literacy is a part of assessment literacy assessment literacy uh, um, it really capitalizes on five key things. One, that an assessment literate educator knows the purpose of an assessment. Uh, uh, so you've got you know your classroom formative, you've got your uh, interim, you've got your state summative, or you know it's just examples. They each have a purpose, and I'm not going to put the state summative in my grade book. I may not put the formative measures in my grade book because that's not what they're for. But I, do I do I understand the purpose, who they're for, what that audience is, right? Um, do I have clear learning targets? And that's not just an I will statement on the board. Uh, um, that's that's not enough. Like, how am I really targeting my instruction in a way that is clear to me and clear to students? What is it we're trying to achieve? Um, we refer to that as learning goals as well. Um, number The third key would be uh, that assessments are of high quality. Um, uh, we, we, we think about, you know, things like, uh, you know, you may love multiple choice, Um but it's inappropriate to apply that to every type. Anytime you want something, it should be multiple choice or it should be a free write, right? There are ways to assess certain 
learning targets that require certain assessment moves. That's a little more heady and uh, requires a, a deeper level, a more sophisticated understanding and digging into what assessment is, right? Uh, that becomes really important. I mean, if you buy a high quality assessment, great. Uh, but when you start to get that classroom formative, and I'm in my class, what I'm going to do with a formative as a, a math teacher, maybe different than a science teacher, a social studies teacher, an English teacher. And I may have to think about that if my data is going to be reliable, uh, not just a, a thumbs up or thumbs down. Did you like it? Did you understand what I was saying today? So again, more sophistication. Number four really gets to that data literacy component. How do we communicate about assessment results? That's part of being assessment literate. And then the fifth thing uh, in that definition um, is, uh, is, you know, student involvement. It's how do we engage and empower students with assessment data? So that clearly, it, it's not, there is great depth here for educators to lean into. That is what we at NWEA are trying to help the profession. The entry point is certainly map growth data, but our intent is to, um, uh, in doing that, also level up the understanding of assessment literacy, data literacy, uh, so that uh, we as educators can better serve kids in, a, in an informed way and develop that, uh, that assessment portion of our practice, which is, as I said, I think pretty underdeveloped across the board. It sounds like based on that definition of the five things. Mm -hmm. Rick <laughs> Sagan assessment. calls them the five keys to assessment literacy. The keys. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, we yeah, go. The, th yeah. the things. Yeah. The, the things. And that being assessment literate is not just like serving map growth. It's no, not just no. serving yeah. whatever test that you're not doing because you're not doing map growth. Like it's about being data driven and, and being better mm -hmm. at just assessing your kids. Yep. Staying yeah. alive to what you're seeing. And ultimately, Kaylee, I mean, I think the thing that the higher uh, academic standards, the more rigorous academic standards, the thing that all parents want, the thing we as educators want is to empower students, right? Roy Sadler, there's a lot of people that have used these, but I think it goes back to Roy Sadler in the 70s, who was an, uh, a, a researcher in education who talked about kids being able to answer the questions for themselves. Where am I now? Where am I trying to get to? And what do I need to do to get there? Or how do I close that gap? You know, John Hattie uses those as well. But assessment is at the heart of that. Uh, the data, where am I now? <laughs> and uh, the target, where am I going to? And then all those formative steps along the way, how do I get there? Um, so, so I'll ask you that question, uh, Kaylee, like, uh, how do you think about assessment in your practice, assessment literacy or helping kids, uh, you know, get empowered using data uh, to, uh, to direct their own paths or for you to direct the paths for them? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer really not, not cute. It's not a cute answer. It's just honest. Uh, as a math teacher, I feel this incredible pressure to be so data literate, to understand, you know, the the data because it's numbers. See a sixty one percent. Kaylee can tell us what that means. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I um, I, I can't always, and that's why having professional learning that really like holds my hand. Yeah, and I. I, I don't have an ego about it. I, I need the kind of professional development that you're talking about, that you yeah. that you're peddling all around <laughs> the states. I I need that. I need someone to be like, hey, click here. 
look at these colors. <laughs> like, yeah. this is what they mean because yeah. I, I'm a storyteller. Right. And so when it comes to looking at my assessment data, as long as I can start to see a story and then stop looking at the data and continue talking about it, that's mm -hmm. a big one. You're not mm -hmm. looking at it anymore, but you still have mm -hmm. things to say about it because mm -hmm. it's still up here and in your heart. Yeah. That's that's how I interact with assessment literacy and and data literacy. Well, that's great. If, if now that I've got the mic, if I want to turn the tables a bit more, if you don't mind. Um, so I, you know, I'm passionate about professional learning. I'm passionate about how we equip educators uh, to help kids, right, in, in a way that that resonates for them. And that goes back. It was easiest for me, I think way back when it was uh, back at the assessment, I mean, at the uh, uh, the residential treatment facility. It's like, hey, we need some some help learning how to support little Johnny who, you know, is going through crisis in this way that we all could tangibly see, feel, and had to deal with. But so my, and sorry to go back in time like that, but but I know what that felt like. Kaylee, for you, what does it feel like when professional learning sessions really resonate with you? It feels like I know why we're learning this particular thing. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the reason we're learning this particular thing is at least 50% teacher driven. Mm -hmm. So if it feels like we are in a professional development to learn this new um, school administrative like software that will help us track attendance and do this stuff, I'm going to zone out. I don't mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. I don't have that need. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that's selfish, but I don't. I know if my kids are there and I don't feel like I need to report it and <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bad uh, box checker, but so we zone out for stuff like that. That's how I can tell when I'm not engaged is when I can't look around the room and see one colleague who's like, I've been asking for this. Thank you. Right. And, but if it's, that's why when you see teachers at conferences, they have opinions about where they're going to go mm -hmm. because they're like, Oh yeah, that's that one's about using Google Docs in the math classroom. Okay, yeah, I really I want to go to that. They know what they want to learn. For sure. Teachers know what they want. So if it's if it's necessitated by teachers, then it'll be good. Uh, if it's not, then they're going to zone out. <laughs> that's really that's a I've never thought about it like that before, but I can, you know, I mean, sitting in a a, a mandatory uh, uh, staff meeting uh, where we're going over compliance things, the energy in that room, I can just see it. I can see the, my, my colleagues it's around. Like Carol, the if you put your hand up to ask one question, Everybody groans. it's 315. <laughs> put your hand down. We hate you, Bruno. <laughs> uh, versus going to any conference. There's an electricity with educators when they're at a conference and they're like, they're picking their own stuff. Like, oh, I want to go to this because it is relevant to my practice. There's a lesson there, I think, for, and I'm sure, you know, great leaders already do this, even in the, mandatory staff meeting setting the context that teachers can connect to well shoot that's i mean it's what we ask teachers to do for students right background knowledge what is yes you know, yes funds of knowledge that's what, what i was gonna say earlier yeah. thank you for bringing yeah. that up jacob because when you were talking about like teachers believing in an assessment and like being able to like suss out whether or not an assessment is worth their time yeah. even in like deciphering yeah. totally. kids are the same way yeah. kids are like this is a I wish I could cuss. This is a crappy quiz. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't mm -hmm. a good quiz. Like mm -hmm. I don't care if I like do well on this. Like yeah. whereas if there's if it's a good test, they're yeah. like, this is hard. Yeah. So like it just like students sniff out if the assessment is worth their attention. Sure. We're the same way. And uh, but anyway, back to what you're saying. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to plug. Sorry, I wanted to plug what my school does that that is really cool. 
and a lot of schools do this, but they have captured that kind of conference magic. And on professional learning days, there's choice, mm-hmm. you know, there's, mm-hmm. we're have a session on this mm-hmm. and a session on that. And we're going to offer two different times of this so that you can, if you want to go to that. And then there is this kind of like one mandatory thing that you got to right. go to. Right, right. And like the, the vibe is so different. Teachers are like, just like students who are excited to do pro- like choice based things. Right. Teachers are excited because we know what we need. Teachers know what we need. And, and good teachers are like, the, the reason we're teachers is because we were learners first. We want to keep learning. We just don't want to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beep. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Kelly, as you're, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about um, how do we scale what we learn? Like, like when you go to a session and you found it valuable for your own practice or your own learning, like how do you convey that to your colleagues or your school leadership? And, and, I, and embedded in this is my bias towards – we have a responsibility to yeah. uh, um, to share, not share. keep good practice a little secret. This little light of mine, you know, I'm going to shine in my room, but not out in the hallway. Right. Like, right. Uh, how do you do that? Hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do it? Um, I think that what, when it comes to teachers, the thing we do best is teach. Mm-hmm. And so like, just come back to your school and be like, I'm going to teach a little mini wow. lesson on this thing that I learned. Yep. And if you're into it, just like if you're into teaching, you know, exponents, you're, you'll capture that same magic and also your colleagues. This is, this is important. So I'm like really proud of yeah. what I'm about to say. So everyone needs to listen. <laughs> when you are teaching something that, that is, that is valuable for them to learn. They're not only learning that thing, but they're watching you teach well. Mm-hmm. And they're learning your teaching methods. Mm-hmm. So they're learning mm-hmm. two things. Mm-hmm. So come back to your school and teach. Totally right. Uh, let's not sit around the water cooler and complain. Let's evangelize good practice, right? Or even like, don't share. I mean, I'm sorry. Don't share the notes that you took from that conference, please, right. God, in the like school chat. <laughs> Save totally. it. Totally. No, be like, I'm going to teach a 15 minute mini lesson on this thing that I learned. I borrowed the PowerPoint from the, the reason that they give you the PowerPoint at the conference isn't so you can click share. It's so that you can go mimic their little presentation. Right, go right. do it. Yeah. What do they say? The best way to learn something is to teach it, right? Like, uh, And the uh, best thing to do, best fat flattery at a conference is to steal their presentation. <laughs> go take it to your school. The reason they presented in the first place is because they believe in what you just said, sharing. That's right. That's right. Okay. So uh, when you think about a particular session or experience that was especially beneficial what stands out for you? Like, like, uh, let's say in the last year you've been to some good PL. Could you tell us what stood out? What did they get right? Uh, what separates the, the question you asked me earlier? Good professional learning from exceptional professional learning. It the teacher, man. The mm. quality of the teacher. Mm. Like, I'm watching some of these. Te- I'm, look, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be real. I, mm. I haven't. I can lay all my cards out on the table. That's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to some professional learning and I'm, I despair for that teacher's children. I'm like, woof, this is boring. I do not know why we are here. I don't know what my, I can statements are at the end of this. I just know that you, that you murdered an entire forest to print out things and hand them to me. I don't even know what, (laughs) but what is excellent in a professional development setting is the same thing that makes an excellent classroom, the same thing that Dr. Chase Nordengren's research is showing is achieving growth in classrooms. It's the efficacy of the teacher. It's the efficacy of the professional leader 
the, the, the teacher in the room. So as soon as I'm in, in the room with an amazing teacher, I, I really, my, my like uh, pie chart flips and I care like markedly less about what we're learning and just care about learning from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> I can talk about this all day. Uh, I, I pity our producers who are going to have to edit this conversation down. Because um, we're just geeking out. Oh, Ge- it makes me want to go to a conference like right now. Like I, if I don't have a lanyard around my neck in two seconds, mm-hmm, I'm going to throw mm-hmm. a fit. <laughs> but thank you so much, Jacob, for sharing your expertise with us for this episode. It's so rare that we get to talk about that. And we'll include some links to some of the resources and PL experiences that we offer that Jacob spearheads um, in the show notes for this episode. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. What it does is it bumps us to the top of all the algorithms. And that just helps your fellow educators to find us and listen to us and uh, hopefully be encouraged and seen and supported. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on The Continuing Educator. Thank you all.